a spirit-led life. What does it look like when someone is led by the Spirit of God? Now, contrary to what some people teach, uh, it does not look like you rolling around on the ground and you barking and doing things like that. That's, I know a lot of people, uh, they, because of Hollywood and because of what they've seen on TV, when they talk about getting the Holy Spirit, they, they act you know, kind of weird, and, and we're not talking about that. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is going to make you a little less weird than you are. Amen? All right. Uh, look at Galatians chapter 5, and I want you to look at uh, verse number 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit. You guys are going to sit for another couple hours. I'm going to ask you to stand for a moment if you would. I'm just kidding. You won't sit for a couple hours. Calm down. I can tell everybody's getting a little nervous. Uh, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He doesn't say, quit all your bad stuff. You know what he tells you to do? Do the right stuff. Amen. Because when you're doing the right stuff, the, the, the bad stuff naturally kind of finds its way somewhere else. Did you get that? It says to walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of flesh. So whatever that is, we better figure that out. Amen. All right? Uh, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would, and we looked at Romans seven in light of this uh, passage, and, and 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 Paul talks about it in great detail in Romans seven. I'd encourage you to write that in the margin of your Bible. But if ye be what led, led. if ye be led of the Spirit, verse eighteen, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these: adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. He did not say the works of a lost person. He said the works of the flesh. Do you still have flesh after you're saved? Well, you better put a governor on your flesh because if you don't, then you're going to find yourself maybe doing some of the things in this list and never say to yourself, I will never do these things. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you know what it says? Him that that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he what? Lest he fall. All right, uh, verse number uh, uh, 20, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't say they will not enter the kingdom of God. It says they will not inherit. That has to do with your, your, your opportunity to reign with Jesus Christ. It has to do with what God wants to give you at the judgment seat of Christ. Now look what it says in verse 22. But, switching gears, these are the results. We're going to eventually talk about these in great detail. Right? But, the fruit of the Spirit. If you're led by the Spirit, this is going to happen. This is going to be found in you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, not anxiety, peace, long-suffering. You got a problem with patience? Can't put up with people? (laughs) When you laugh, that gives it away. (laughs) We're all there. We all have that issue. Gentleness, gentleness, gentleness. How do you talk to your spouse? How do you talk to your kids? How do you talk to other believers? Goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk 
in the Spirit. Brother Jose Donato, so would you open us up in a word of prayer, sir? Amen. Amen. Be seated. Let me just go through a couple of things by way of review that we talked about last time. Uh, the Bible says that if you are alive in the spirit, what that generally means is this. It means you're saved. All right. That means that you are living in the spirit of God. You are a born again Christian. All right. But but because you are alive in the spirit, that's salvation. And that was a moment in time where you trusted Jesus as your Savior. Now, on a daily basis, you choose whether or not you are led by the Spirit, whether or not you walk in the Spirit. The, the, the term walking in the Bible is connected with fellowship. There's this idea of unity. In other words, we, we know the, the verse, some of you know the verse, can two walk together except they be what? Agreed. In other words, you, you think about it like this. It's like being in a yoke of oxen, right? And I don't mean like an egg yolk. I mean like one of those old farmer things. Like, you know, like some of you, if you're t- a teenager, you may not even know what a rake is. A rake is a stick with a, b- a little thing. Like, and you do this, right? So, are you with me? He's like, yeah, I know what that is. I know what that is. All right. So a yoke uh, is something you would put on, on two oxen. And what that would do is that would allow those oxen to take a plow and move forward together and plow a straight row. Now, we have farming equipment, we got tractors and all that kind of stuff and combines and everything else, but back in the day, it was animals that did everything. And here, listen, if this oxen said, I want to go this way, and this oxen said, but I want to go this way, they're not going separate ways because they're in the same yoke. Does this make sense? And so guess what? One of those is going to win. One of those is going to win, and one is going to lead the other. And what you have to understand is when you got saved, the Holy Spirit came inside of you. He says, look, I would like to be the leader. I would like to lead this. But if you don't want me leading this, guess what? I will allow you to take this plow wherever it is you want to go. And you know what it might do in your life? It might actually ruin you. That's what the flesh wants. The flesh does not want what God wants. The flesh thinks about itself and how to preserve itself and how to gratify itself. Your flesh does not wake up in the morning and say, God, I just want to be a blessing to you. Your flesh wakes up in the morning and says, crack, 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 I'm in pain. Your flesh wakes up in the morning and says, I don't want to get up. Your flesh wakes up in the morning and says, how come I always have to get the coffee? Why don't you get me the coffee, right? Your flesh thinks all of these things. Your flesh goes, I wonder what Elon Musk is saying today. Instead of asking, what is God saying? Does this make sense? This is the battle that you are in. And don't be mistaken to think that, look, I'm going to go ahead. and Because I'm saved, automatically, God is going to make me do right. He's not going to do it. 
God is a gentleman, and he's going to say, look, I would like to lead this expedition, but I'm going to leave it up to you as to whether or not you allow me to do that. What an amazing thought that the creator of the universe says, listen, I'm so powerful, I can fling the stars into existence, but I'm not going to override your free will. That's an amazing thought. So we are told to walk in the spirit so that we can have the right fruit in our lives. But you know what I thought about? I was asking my wife, I said, do you think that people that grew up with, remember dial-up internet? <laughs> right, right. It just sounds like, I sound like Chewbacca, right? You don't remember dial-up internet. Joe's like, I don't remember. Get him out of here. All right. I mean, like, like for real, remember that? I mean, now if you have high-speed internet, you're like, oh my, listen, guys, three years ago, they brought out high-speed internet to where we live in Bennett, and we used to have satellite internet. Satellite internet is useless. And like you'd use it in the morning. It's almost like water pressure. Like if you got like a real thin water line, you know, or something like that, or a leak somewhere, someone would get online in the morning and use the internet. And by the afternoon, it's like, does anyone have the crank somewhere we can crank back up and, you know, move this internet thing along? It was awful. And you know what? I'll tell you right now, I love high speed internet. Oh my God, it's so cool. You can get on, boom, 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 you're done. There's no waiting. I don't have to call the internet company and go, can I buy some more tokens, whatever that even means, so that I can have more internet or bandwidth or whatever. Some of you IT guys are like, you're saying it wrong. Whatever, it wasn't working. I don't know what it's called, but it wasn't working right. And you know what I can tell you? I have a higher level of appreciation for high-speed internet because I remember when, number one, there was no internet. And I remember, secondly, when you had to dial up and put a phone jack in the wall and hear this nasty sound, right? And remember when someone would send you a picture and you get it in the email and the picture would go, <laughs> you're like, I think it's a dog. No, it's a horse. It's a cow. I'm not sure. And you're all excited, waiting to see it. And some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I know. And so you just can't appreciate the internet like I can. And you know what I'm getting at? When you know kind of where something came from, and where something was at, and then what you have now is better, you appreciate what you have now a little bit more. And, and what I want to do a little bit tonight is, is kind of give you a higher level of, of appreciation for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is not exactly how it is today. And I want to be able to show that to you, and, I, and we've got some things here on the board, but before I do that, uh, look if you would at First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. And I want to make this very clear. I know I mentioned this before, but I'm going to say it again. The Holy Spirit is not like uh, a, a, a lesser God. The Holy Spirit is God. All right? The, the, the roles within the Godhead, that is the, the Bible word uh, for what we call the Trinity. And again, if you, if you want to, to find that, you can find it in Colossians. It talks about the, the, the Godhead. And when you read that verse and you read the, the passage, the context will make it clear that that is a reference to the Trinity, all right? And, and the Holy Spirit is not a lesser God. The Holy Spirit is, in fact, uh, God himself, all right? Look, if you would, at 1 John chapter 5 and look at, at verse number 4. For whatsoever is born of God. Have you been born again? Yeah. All right. Let me say it one more time. Some of you are still kind of needing some coffee. Have you been born again? All right, so you know what that means? Whatever, whatever you're about to read applies to you. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. 
Brother, I've got news. There's coming a day when, and they could put all the nails in your tire, and it won't really matter because you have overcome the world. All right? And there's a day, there's coming a day where I leave all of this behind. And at that moment, that's when you're going to realize what God was trying to tell you the entire time, which is that you can't live in victory because you have overcome the world because of Jesus Christ. Nugget says, And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? You're an overcomer by believing on the Son of God and by having him in your life, not because of yourself, you've overcome. Now, Lewis says here in verse number six, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ. You say, what do you mean by water and blood? Uh, That which is born of flesh is flesh. Remember that from John chapter three, that water birth. It's showing the fact that there in that verse is telling you he came into this world just like everybody else. The exception being he was born of a virgin and blood. You say, what did he do? He died, shed his blood. Even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. In other words, you know what he wants you to understand? Jesus wasn't a spiritual apparition. He was really here. He was um, uh, manifest in the flesh. God manifests in the flesh. Uh, but look, if you would, at uh, the end of verse 6. And it is the what? Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is what? That's one of the attributes given to God himself. Uh, the Bible says of Jesus Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Uh, look at verse number seven. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, that's Jesus, John chapter one, Revelation chapter 19, and who? The Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. Uh, look at Matthew chapter number three. Now, I'm going to warn you right now. Go to Matthew three. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. So that, that is what we would call the Trinity, or the Bible calls it the Godhead. And I want you to understand that when Jesus started his earthly ministry, it was technically in the Old Testament. Why? Because he hadn't died yet. Clearly, the the death of of the testator is what marks the testament. So here we are, according to Hebrews 9, this is what begins the New Testament. So when Jesus began his ministry, he was still in the Old Testament. Guys, have you ever wondered why when he goes to heal uh, some of these folks, he tells them, go show thyself the lepers. Luke chapter 17 or Luke uh, 11, I think it might be, or... 17. He tells them, go show thyself to the priest. Why is he telling them to do that? He's telling them to keep the law. Why? They are still under the old covenant. They're under the old Testament. All right. And so when Jesus starts his ministry, there are two things that are the earmarkers of the beginning of his ministry. All right. Two events, Jesus getting baptized, which you're going to read about, and Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, which you're going to read about. Do you know what both of those things have in common? Among maybe some other things, the Holy Spirit being involved in both of those events. Let me show you. Look at Matt. There are three that bear record in heaven. You know what the Holy Spirit's job is? To bear record to the truth. And I want to show you that. You know why I'm showing you that? Because the Holy Spirit will not show up in your life and have you do things that go against the truth of the Word of God. All right? Uh, look, look at uh, Matthew chapter 3. And uh, this is uh, Jesus getting baptized by John the Baptist, and he's not John the Baptist because he's the first Baptist pastor. He's John the Baptist because he's baptizing people, and the last name Baptist wasn't taken yet, all right? So there he is, John the Baptist. John, uh, Matthew 3, look at verse 14, and uh, here's what it says. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? Jesus came to him and says, hey, I want to, I want to be baptized. And John's going, wait, 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 it should be the other way around. And Jesus answering said to him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. 
And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, what opened up? There are three that bear record where? In heaven. The Father, the Word. So the Father, look, look at this. Lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God. There's the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from where? Saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I well pleased. So you know what you had there? You've got the Father showing up. You've got the Holy Spirit showing up. You know what they're doing? They're bearing witness to the fact that this is the, the, the Christ of God. This is the anointed one. And I want you to see that the reason that's there is to show you that they're working in unison. They don't work against each other. They don't work in competition. So whatever the Father says that the Son uh, uh, submitted to and obeyed, the Holy Spirit of God is going to bear witness to that in your life. In other words, the Holy Spirit's not a renegade. He's not like a lot of Baptists. He's not going to make up his own code of conduct depending on how he feels that day. He's going to go ahead and say, this is what the Word says, and I'm going to bear witness. Have you ever, listen, I, I don't want to pick on anybody or, or embarrass anybody, uh, but uh, uh, this young man just got saved a couple weeks ago, and without going to all his personal life, I'll just say he made a decision not too long ago, and I thought to myself, man, what, a, what a, an outstanding thing that someone gets saved, and two weeks later, they're making a, what I think is a, a fantastic, a biblical decision, a life-changing decision, and there wasn't years of being in church for someone to tell them, this is right. Why did he do that? Because the little bit of the word of God that he's gotten, the spirit of God said, that's right. Yeah. And then it was on him to go ahead and say, yes, Lord, I obey that or no, I'm going to do my own thing. But the spirit of God is the one that bore witness to the word of God in his life. That is what the spirit of God is here to do in your life. The question is this, are you listening? Are you listening? Now listen, the Bible speaks of you having your own spirit. You have a spirit. The Bible speaks of the, of the spirit of man. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Not every time that the Bible talks about a spirit, is it the spirit of God? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. The Bible says in Proverbs, uh, the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. You say, what is that? You've got your own human spirit. We learned about this from the original creation. Uh, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That literally is the definition of inspiration. God breathing spirit or life into something or somebody. That's why this book is different, because it's inspired by God. Right? That's why it's not like any other religious book on the planet. All right? And when God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, God was putting spirit or life into that man. You have that when you're born. All right? You've got your own spirit. The, the challenge is, once you get saved, is to submit your spirit to the spirit of God. Because you don't have to. That's a choice. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and look, if you would, at verse number 11. The Bible says, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the what? the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man. You know what he's telling you? that He's saying in so many words, you know you because your spirit knows you. Now, if you want to know God, you've got to find God's spirit. And so he says, look, if, if you want to know anything about God and know the word of God and learn the Bible, you are going to have to first get saved. I've had people come to me and say, I can't read this Bible. Now, look, I, I'm going to be very careful. And I'm, I'm not saying this to put anyone down. Anytime you pick up a, a spiritual book, you're going to be, it's going to take you back a little bit. It's going to be hard at first. There's going to be a learning curve to it, all right? But I do want you to understand from a simply an educational level, 
Uh, there's a test that's given to literature, uh, a piece of literature called the Flesh Kincaid Test. This King James Elizabethan English Bible is at a fifth grade reading level. Some of you are like, I don't believe you. Look it up. Right, fifth grade. Now, why do I point that out? Because a lot of people say, I can't understand it. And here's what I want you to understand. Sometimes the reason you can't understand it is not the Elizabethan English. Now, there's words that we don't use anymore. I, I, I believe that. I get that. But I'll tell you what it really can boil down to as well. If you're saved, you're not under sound teaching and preaching. And so the Bible, you're just like, I don't really know where to start. I'm not really sure what to do. That's why the Bible says you need pastors and teachers, Ephesians 4. And it might be this. I've had people go, the Bible makes no sense to me whatsoever. And I've, I've talked to them, and the more I talk to them, I realize, you know why that is? Because you haven't yet been born again. You know why? Because it is a spiritual book. Look, if you would, at verse number 12. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of who? God. God. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the who teacheth? The Holy Ghost. How does he teach us this? Look at the end of verse 13. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. You know how you learn the Bible? Look at one verse here. Look at one verse there. Line upon line. Precept upon precept. And as you continue to do that, the Spirit of God will say, yep, that's right. Do you know why a lost person, even if you write the Bible in, in modern language, is not going to understand who God is? You know why that is? Look at verse 14. Because without the Holy Spirit of God inside of you, you don't have a shot at this. The the natural man, that's the man without any spiritual life in him, the natural man receiveth not the things of who? You know what they are? They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You have to have the Spirit of God inside of you to understand who God is and to understand his words, which is how God reveals himself to us. You have your own spirit, and let me say this, there are other spirits in the world. We talked about that last week. There are spirits of deception, lying spirits, uh, spirits of fear, so on and so forth. And then there's the Spirit of God. God says this in Genesis chapter 6. By the way, the very first book of the Bible, the Holy Spirit shows up. Genesis 1, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Genesis 6, you know what it says? My spirit shall not always strive with man. You know what he's saying? I really sure am tired of seeing my spirit fight with you people. Why don't you just listen? (laughs) My spirit shall not always strive with man. So we know this from the beginning. The spirit of God is connected with creation and with interacting with man from the very beginning. He's involved. So I would say this. It's a pretty important job that he has. Now, I want to point a couple of things out that are different. Now, we understand one thing that transcends dispensation or time or or old testament versus new testament one thing we know for sure is the spirit of god has always bore witness to the truth he's always done that all through the old testament i'll show you some verses in a little bit about that uh, but i want you to understand his ministry back here is a little bit different with individuals than it is on this side of the cross all right so here's a question and, and I, i'm not trying to be a not it's not like an ah gotcha question or a trick question uh, but let me ask you this. Could the Spirit of God in the Old Testament dwell inside of somebody? If you answered yes, you're correct. Uh, look, if you would, at Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41. Yes, the Spirit of God could dwell. There's what I'm going to try, you're going to kind of find that in this lesson, there's this element of doctrinal 
truth that we're learning to ground us, and then there's going to be a practical application of that truth. All right, so look at Genesis chapter number 41, and this is talking about Joseph, Genesis chapter 41. What a great character Joseph is in the Bible. I was talking to a, a person that got saved a few years ago, and, and a, a, a young man, and he got saved kind of in a crazy way. Uh, but uh, no doubt, after listening to the guy talk about his salvation, that he saved, just never got discipled, never got trained, never got grounded in a church. And, um, and Joe and Stan, remind me to tell you that story after church, if you don't mind. All right, it's a good one. It's a good one. You guys are connected to it. You're like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. Well, now the whole internet knows you're connected to whatever that is. All right. So uh, anyways, uh, but, but he, here was the thing. Uh, this, this young man was basically telling me in so many words, he goes, I couldn't even really tell you at the time everything that God was doing in that moment. But looking back, I can see it. Can you not see that sometimes in your life as well? You say, what is that? The spirit of God moving. And, and, and listen, Joseph, I, I was telling this young man about the story of Joseph, and he was kind of on the edge of his seat. He never heard it before. Uh, look at Genesis 41, and look, if you would, at verse number 38. You say, what's going on? Uh, uh, Pharaoh is talking about Joseph, and look how he describes him. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such an one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Now, let me just say this. It was kind of a rare thing for them to find this. Now, you know you have in this room? A bunch of you saved people. Spirit of God in you, and you, and you, and you, and you. and That's a miracle. Back then, he's going, I don't know anyone that has this. Can we find someone like this? But I can tell you this much. He was giving testament to the fact, giving testimony to the fact that the Spirit of God was inside of Joseph. Let me give you another example of this. And by the way, Joseph and Daniel are great pictures of things. They both prophetically tell things of the future. Look at Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. Sometimes a lost person will try to give a spiritual truth and they don't know how to say it. You know what I mean by that? Uh, Even a baby Christian will do that. Uh, I've had people say, uh, hey, thanks for saving me. And I'm like, well, I I, I didn't save you. It was the Lord that saved you. Amen. And what they mean to say is, thank you for leading me to Christ. Right. Uh, And I don't I don't go, yeah, you got it wrong. It's got no, I I know what they're trying to say. All right. But, But but they don't know exactly how to frame it. All right. Look, this is an example of that. Look at Daniel chapter five. And look what Nebuchadnezzar says here. Daniel chapter number five. And uh, verse number uh, 14. Actually, this is Belshazzar uh, after Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 14. And this is him talking about Daniel. All right. So we're trying to answer the question. Can the Holy Spirit, could the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament dwell inside of somebody? So far, the answer is yes. Look at Daniel 5, verse 14. I have even heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee. Then you go, oh, well, that's not right. No, no, but that's what, this is his way of saying, I know the spirit of God's inside of you. He just doesn't know the one true God. So he speaks of God's plural because he's a Gentile that doesn't know the one true God. Does this make sense? But he's pointing to Daniel and he goes, look, I know that the spirit of God is inside of you. So clearly from the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could and did dwell inside of people. Here's another question. All right. Could the Holy Spirit, uh, I'll ask it this way. Can the Holy Spirit leave you today? He can't. Once you're saved. Aren't you thankful for that? So let me ask this question. Could he do that in the Old Testament? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. 
1 Samuel chapter 16. Now, I'm trying to take you back to dial-up internet right now, okay? That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to show you this is dial-up, you've got high speed, all right? Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16, and you say, what's going on? Saul is a man that does not want to submit to the Spirit of God. He wants to do what a lot of people today want to do. They want to do like the God thing, but they want to do it their own way. They want to serve God, but they want to do it with their music. They want to serve God, but they want to do it with their philosophy. They want to serve God. And and let me just say this, uh, that can apply sometimes to lost people who are religious. They have a form of godliness, the Bible says, but they deny the power. Why are they denying the power thereof? I'll tell you why they deny the power thereof. Because the Spirit of God is not involved in that. The Spirit of God is not in dead religion. There's a form of godliness, but there's no life to it. And let me say this. When you get backslidden, and some of you have experience, I know I have, where you got the form. You know how to say, hey, brother, how you doing? And so good to see you. But inside, you're kind of dead because you're not walking in the Spirit. You didn't lose your salvation. You didn't lose the Spirit of God. But you have grieved Him and you have quenched Him. And boy, that's a, that's a terrible... And I'll tell you what. You think that's bad? Try getting behind the pulpit and having to preach when you're like that. You know what you better do? Fall on your face before God before you get in that pulpit and go, God, if for nothing else, for their sake, help me get right. <laughs> you, don't want, you, don't want to be, you don't want to have a form of godliness and deny the power thereof. All right? It's kind of like having a house with no electricity. It's the shell is there, but I can't use anything inside of it. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 16. You say, what happens? Well, Saul, as the king, was anointed by God. And what you're going to find out is that, that oil in the Bible is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so what they would do with the kings and with the prophets and with the priests is they would be anointed to begin their ministry. Wait a minute. This kind of makes me think of somebody else. Uh, Jesus Christ, what happened to him? He got anointed to do his ministry. Where was that? At his baptism when the Holy Spirit came down. You get that? Holy Spirit is saying like a dove. All right, so he's anointed to commence his ministry. Prophets and priests, and those are the three offices uh, of ministry in the Old Testament. And you know what Jesus Christ is? He's the culmination of all three. He's our high priest. He's the king of the line of the tribe of Judah. And he's that prophet, capital P from Deuteronomy, the prophet that they were waiting for. All right, Saul was a king. He was anointed. He had a commission. He was told by God how to do his job. Listen to me. If you're saved, you've been anointed. The Bible says he hath made us to be kings and priests. Revelation chapter 5. You've got a ministry. You go, oh no, I'm not called to preach. No, no, you have a ministry. You're a mom. You're a wife. You're a son. You're a father. You're a husband. You're a Christian. There's people you can... Everyone has a ministry here. You understand? And God has... And he's shown you how to do your job. But there are moments where we kind of think, like, my way is better than God's. God, I know what you said, but here's what you didn't know about my situation. Right? You don't know who I'm married to. You don't know how hard it's been. You don't know. And the Lord's like, I've been watching the whole thing from up here. My vantage point's a lot better than yours. Right? Now, now look, look at 1 Samuel 16. Look at verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. 
This is David that's getting anointed. Now you say, what, what is David? David's a picture of the new man inside of you, Jesus Christ. Saul's a picture of the flesh. Saul wants to do what Saul wants to do. And when Saul wants to do something, Saul will even refer to himself in the third person like a weirdo. Because Saul wants to do what Saul wants to do. And you know what God says? You know what? That's dead to me. You are no longer to reign. I've got a new king. Look, if you would, at verse number 13. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. But look at verse 14. Aren't you thankful you're not back there? Anyone that says there's no difference between the Old Testament and New Testament is not being intellectually honest. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is this, biblically. He would, and we'll see some verses. He would move on. He would move. He would speak through people. He would even dwell inside of people, but guess what? He would leave. Depending on how you were living your life, and if you were to quench and grieve the Spirit of God, because in the Old Testament, there is no new birth. There is no spiritual circumcision. Go to Colossians chapter 2. There was no separating of the soul and of the body of the sins of the flesh. And therefore, in the Old Testament, if you're not walking in the Spirit, the Spirit goes, man, I don't really like the conditions around here. I think I'm going to leave and find someone else who does want to walk with me. Now, I'm thankful that God doesn't do that on this side of the cross, but it's how it was then. It was dial-up. Are you with me? All right, look at uh, Colossians chapter 2. Kind of giving you a contrast. I know some of you could maybe even quote some of these verses, but I want you to look at this, Colossians 2, and look if you would at verse 9. For in him, talking about in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete. Can I just say that again? You don't need someone else to be complete. You don't have to be the prettiest girl in the room. You don't have to have that girlfriend. You don't have to be... Listen, I'm thankful for my wife, but can I tell you, outside of the whole you complete me romantically thing, before I was even with her, you know, I was complete in Christ. You better get a hold of that because if you live the rest of your life trying to find your happiness and completion in somebody else, you're going to be sorely disappointed and you're going to manipulate them because you're not happy and you're expecting them to make you happy. You're complete in him. You say, where'd that come from? I don't know. Not in the notes, but that's free. Ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom, watch it, also ye are circumcised, not physically, with the circumcision made without hands, spiritual, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You know what basically happened when you guys said, you know why you have eternal security? Because what you do in the flesh no longer touches your soul, the real you. And if it did, you would lose your salvation every day. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Some of you would have lost it in traffic today. Some of you think you did. <laughs> All right. But, but, but on this side of the cross, you have to understand, this is not a concern that I have that the Holy Spirit's going to leave me. But back then they sure had it. Matter of fact, if you don't believe me, Listen, I just gave the example of Saul being a picture of the flesh and the old man and David being a picture of the new man, Christ, inside of you. But, but I want you to look at Psalm 51. Did you know David didn't live a perfect life? Some of you are like, yeah, I know he messed up. You know, if someone wrote a book about your entire life and they pointed to two areas where you messed up, you're not doing as bad as probably you think David did. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not justifying his sin. I'm simply saying we... <laughs> 
We look at the characters of the Bible and I say, you know, David messed up. And you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what if they wrote a book about your life? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. Look, look at Psalm 51. Look at Psalm 51. You say, what is Psalm 51? It's David's prayer to God after he messes up with adultery and murder. Two sins for which there was no sacrifice in the Old Testament. You know what the, you know what the punishment was? Death. And David falls before God and he prays to him. I look at verse 1, have mercy. By the way, that's a great attitude to have when you're in sin. Not, you don't know what it's like to be the king and the pressures of being a king. And you don't know what it's like to have, you know, all this pressure. He just says, have mercy upon me. Uh, look, if you would, at verse 2, wash me. Verse 3, I acknowledge my transgressions. Verse 4, against thee, thee only have I sinned. Uh, verse 7, purge me. Verse 8, make me. This is good. This is good stuff. When you do mess up, read Psalm 51 to have the right attitude. But, but can I show you something that David says that you will never have to pray? Look at verse 11. Aren't you glad that on this side of the cross, you never have to say, God, please don't take the Holy Spirit from me? The ministry of the Holy Spirit was different in this sense because they didn't experience the new birth back here, all right? And, and, and what you have to understand is because of that, basically the Holy Spirit would come in somebody and, and would show them what was right, and if they submitted to it, he would dwell there, and if they didn't and they rejected it and did their own thing like Saul did, he would leave. I'm so thankful I'm not under the Old Testament. I'm thankful I've got high-speed internet, amen? I, I, I'm thankful that he dwells inside of me. Let me say this, permanently, amen. not just temporarily or until I mess up again. Now look, when you are walking in the flesh, I'm not advocating it's a good thing. You will pay for it in the flesh. God, if he's your father, he's going to chastise you because he promised to do that. He will scourge every son whom he receives. I've had parents tell me, I just can't spank my kid because I love them. And I look at them and say, do you think God's a good father? Oh, yes, God's good. You know what he says? He says he spanks you. Are you trying to say God's not a good father because he spanks his kids? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. Well, no, that's not what I mean. I just mean, what you mean is you are falling in love with the image of your child so much because you're forgetting the fact that they have a soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. You know what the Bible says? The blueness of a wound cleanseth away evil. You know what you do when you, t- when you help that kid? You go, well, this is less than the Holy Spirit. What are you talking about kids again? Because we are surrounded in a society that's rejected everything that the Spirit of God has said about everything, including raising children. You know what happens when you take that kid and tell them, hey, what you did was wrong and there's a punishment? You're showing them the nature of God. And then after there's a punishment, you sit down with them and you go, you know what you did was wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And then you go, okay, well, do you want to make it right? Yeah. I said, do you want to pray? Yeah, let's pray. And they pray and they talk to God even before they're even saved. And they're starting to understand that when I mess up, I go to God. Yes, there's a punishment, but God will also restore and forgive. Thank God that when we mess up, he doesn't leave us. Look at John, the gospel of John. And I want to show you some things here in John that I think are really, really interesting. Listen, this, the, the Bible prophesied in Isaiah chapter 11 about the Spirit of God resting upon the person of Jesus Christ. All right, uh, John chapter number 14. So he would rest on individuals. He would move on them. He would even come and dwell inside of them. The difference was he did not dwell within them permanently. I'm building towards why you should be led of the Spirit of God. This is going somewhere. Uh, John chapter 14 
Look, if you would, at verse number 16. John 14, verse number 16. Now, let me just, before I read it, we need to ask ourselves, who is talking? The answer is Jesus. We're going to learn that. Who is he talking to? His disciples. When is he talking to them? Before he goes to, the, to face Calvary and to die for the sins of mankind. And he's telling them about the fact that he's going to leave. And when he does, he's going to send them someone to dwell inside of them. Look at John 14 and verse number 16. John 14 and verse number 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Capital C, do you see that? You know why? It's a reference to God and the person of the Holy Spirit. That he may abide with you how long? Now, now watch this. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth, what's the next word? And shall beware. Do you see that? You know what he's telling us? Back then, the Spirit of God was with them, but he's saying, look, you're going to have him with you in a way that you've never experienced. He's going to be with you forever. He shall be in you. Right now, he's with you, but he shall be in you. In other words, on this side of the cross, because we're over here right now, he's giving them some understanding of what's about to come. And we read this understanding, what he went through for us, and we understand, thank God that we're not saying he shall be in us, but that he is in us now that we're saved. All right? And so you have to understand, even the disciples themselves, they're raising the dead. They're healing the sick. They're cleansing the lepers. They're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And the Holy Spirit was with them. But there was not the promise. Listen to me. This is a key word. There was not the promise of the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit until the New Testament. Uh, Look at Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. Meat lovers night, right? So we're flipping the pages. Back in the 80s, uh, anybody remember what a phone book is? <laughs> all right, all right. So if you don't know what a phone book is, don't worry about it. But remember, let your fingers do the walking. Remember that? All right. And so in Bible study, let your fingers do the walking. Look at Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, look if you would at verse number 46. Luke 24, verse 46. Actually, go back to verse 45. Then open he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. You know what you need to understand the Scriptures? Your understanding to be opened. You know who does that? The Spirit of God. Now watch, watch. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Remember the commission of Acts 1.8? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. There it is right there. And ye are witnesses of these things. Now watch verse 49. And behold, I send the what? Promise. I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with what? Power from on high. Look at Acts chapter 1. Look at Acts chapter 1. You know what this power is? It's, it's power from the Holy Spirit to be a witness. To, for you to go out and tell others about Jesus Christ. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, look if you would, at verse number 8. But ye shall receive power after that the what? 
Holy Ghost is come upon you. And that power is not, you know, to lay hands on the sick and all that. No, no, no. The power from the Holy Spirit for you as a New Testament Christian is not so much about miracles and signs and wonders as much as it is God's called you to open your mouth and tell the people about Jesus Christ. And you don't have the power to do that from within. The Spirit of God has to get that out of you. He has to be working in you. So he tells them, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now listen, uh, you need to understand this. Uh, I'm going to have you go back to another place in John. Look at John uh, chapter 14 again, different, different passage in John 14. But let me show you. John chapter 14. Christian, the moment you get saved, the Spirit of God is inside of you. Dwelling permanently inside of you. And you didn't have that before you were saved. And they didn't have that in the Old Testament. It's an immediate thing. I'm going to show that to you in a little bit. They were wait, the disciples were waiting for it. It was a separate event from their knowledge of Jesus Christ. You don't have to wait for it. You get saved and it's there. Amen? He's within you. Look at John 14, verse 26. John 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Net, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why does he say, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid? You know why? Because the comforter is going to be with you. That's, on, that's where they're at then. He was going to be, but now we have him. All right, look at John chapter number 15. John 15. And I'm just trying to show you that he was saying, I will send. He shall be with you. And now we're on this side of the cross, and he's with us. John 15, look at verse 26. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father... Even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye shall also bear witness. Why? Because you've been with me from the beginning. Do you notice the connection between being a witness and the spirit of truth being inside of you? You see that? All right. Look, look, look back at verse 26. When the comforter is come. You know what that tells you? He hadn't come yet. You have him the moment you get saved. All right. Uh, let, me, let me give it to you like this. Um, look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to show you a few anomalies here in a little bit, but I want you to see Ephesians chapter 1 because we're kind of running out of time here. Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm, I'm going to show you here in this verse that, look, the moment you get saved, after your salvation, that's when the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. Not prior. The Spirit of God can convict you of sin without dwelling inside of you. And He has to do that for you to get saved. How many of you, get, how many of you that when you got saved, you distinctly felt like, you were like, maybe you didn't show it this way, but when someone was presenting the gospel to you and you knew that you were supposed to get saved, it was almost like you were sweating. It was almost like, I got I to gotta get saved. I got to get saved. Like there's, there's something not right with me. There was something inside. You say, what is it? The Spirit of God is showing you that you're lost because he comes to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. All right. Now look at Ephesians chapter one. Now, when you yielded to that, when you said, okay, Spirit of God, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I accept that message. I'm submitting to your moving in my life, and I'm going to trust Christ as my Savior. You know what he did? He chose to dwell inside of you. Look at Ephesians 1 and verse number 13. Ephesians 1, verse 13. In whom ye also trusted, talking about Christ, look back at verse 12. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your what? Now watch this. In whom also after that ye believed, ye were what? With that Holy Spirit of promise. You see that? Salvation, you accepting that truth, that message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believing by faith, that is what brought the Spirit of God to dwell inside of you. And let me say it again, to dwell inside of you permanently. That's why he says you are sealed with the Spirit of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. Now, you know what happens? I, I had Acts up here for a reason, okay? In Acts 2, they get baptized, and then the Spirit of God comes inside of them. In Acts 8, someone lays their hands on someone, and then they get, they get the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10, they heard the Word of God, and as they heard the Word of God and believed, the Holy Spirit fell on them. In Acts 19, I, and then they got baptized. In Acts 19, I believe it was, I'm trying to get the order right, it's different in every one of these. That's the point. They got the Holy Spirit in a certain order here, certain order here, certain order here. Certain. So you know what Paul does? He brings clarity to the matter for the New Testament believer and goes, look, while God was transitioning all of this stuff out in the history of the early church, I want you New Testament believers to understand that when you get saved, when you accept the gospel of your salvation, that is when he seals you. You don't have to worry about, is it this one? Or is it this one? Or is it this one? I would say these are great to learn about the history of the church. But as far as how you get saved and what happens to you the moment you get saved, Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 4. Look there if you would as well. What Paul does, he brings some clarity to what otherwise could be very, very confusing for someone that's trying to understand when the Spirit of God comes. All right, Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of what? Talked about it last week. Listen, that's called the rapture, all right? And uh, when the Lord comes back for us, you say, when is he coming? I don't know, but I know this. I'm supposed to be looking for him to come. I know I'm supposed to be loving his appearing. I know that much according to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And when that day comes, it's called the day of Christ. It's called the day of the Lord Jesus. It's called the day of redemption, all right? Because why? He's picking up his purchased possession. He bought you with his blood. When you got saved, all right, uh, his blood paid for your soul to be clean in the sight of God. Thank God for that. And when that happened, the moment you accepted that message by faith, the Spirit of God dwelled inside of you, and he's going to seal you until that day. You know what that means? That means you can't lose your salvation until he comes back. So if you, want, if you want to think you're going to lose it, keep trying, I guess, if you want. I would say don't try to lose it because you're going to make a mess of your life. You won't lose your salvation, but you'll make a mess of your life here on earth. But I'll just say this much. According to the Bible, you know what you have? You have the sealing, not just the, the permanent indwelling, but the sealing of the Spirit of God. I, I would think of it this way. Why does he say sealing? Because of this. When your soul was cut away from your flesh, do you know what the buffer is between the two? Spirit of God. He goes, you know what? Soul, you're eternally clean. Flesh, you're a mess every day. How do I keep, these from, how do I keep this from being contaminated by this? I'm going to put the Holy Spirit and seal. Seal him. And so when you got saved, you know what you are? You're not just indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're sealed by him. Now I say all of that. I went through all of that for one reason. That was like the longest introduction ever. <laughs> and some of you are really nervous right now. But, but let me just, it's a simple thought. It's a really simple thought. 
if God went through all of this to save you, and he gave you something on this side of the cross, the promise of the indwelling and the sealing of the Holy Spirit of God, God, in the spirit form, dwelling inside of you, God went through all of that trouble. God gave you his son. And that son said, not my will, but thine be done, so that you could be saved. And he did all of that. Can I ask you a question? Doesn't it just make sense? Isn't it just a reasonable thought that the right thing to do as a Christian is to be led by the Spirit? You know what the Bible says in Romans 12? It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not, uh, he, he says, which is your, what kind of service? It's just reasonable that you would serve him and submit to the Spirit of God when, look at everything that he did to make that happen for you. When you're driving down the road by yourself and thinking about something you shouldn't think about, you need to submit that to the Spirit of God. When you're filled with fear and anxiety against what the Bible says, you need to submit that to the Spirit of God. Yeah, amen. <laughs> when, when, listen to me, when someone gets, says something to you and it gets under your skin and you want to respond in the flesh, you need to submit that to the Spirit of God. When you're in a place where it's just you and nobody else and that temptation comes back to go back to that old habit and that old way, you need to submit that to the Spirit of God. And what I'm getting at is this. You are choosing every single day of your life as a Christian, as a believer, whether or not you're led by the Spirit. And some people see like this mystical, mysterious, oh, I wonder what it's like to be led by the Spirit. It's simple. You do what he says to do. Because the Spirit of God bears witness to the words of God. And he says, that's what you need to obey. And when you disobey it, you know what you're saying? I think I can lead myself. You won't lose the Spirit of God. Thank God for that. You won't lose the Spirit of God, but you'll lose the power. You'll lose power in your life. You'll grieve the Spirit of God. You'll quench the Spirit of God. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want you to understand this. God wants you to be led by His Spirit. You can, if you're saved, you can be led by His Spirit. You should be led by His Spirit. And you know what I also say about that? You'll reap the benefits. Fruit that goes out into eternity. And what we're going to get into in a little bit in the following weeks are the fruits, the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit. And I wanted you guys to understand, listen, look how good we have it. Look how good it is for us on this side of Calvary. Look how good God has been to us to place himself inside of us in the form of the Holy Spirit and to show us what's right. Do you know there are people right now that are literally crying out saying, if there is a God, if there is a God, would you show yourself to me? Would you send someone? And you've got it. You've got him inside of you and you've got his words right in your lap. Look at First Thessalonians chapter 5. And Paul gives some instruction here. Look at verse 16. Rejoice evermore. Man, if you're happy, let your face know. Amen. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. We struggle with that. 
For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Look at verse 19. Quench not the Spirit. God wants, He's trying to lead you in a certain direction in your life. And it's going to line up with those words. And when you choose to go in your own direction, thank God, you will not lose the Spirit of God like Saul did and like David prayed that he wouldn't have it happen to him. But what you will do is you'll quench him and you'll miss out on the power that God wants. Listen, for, listen. you may not realize this. There are people that need to be saved that you could reach. And you know what is going to happen? You're not going to reach them when you're walking in the flesh. And when you're not led by the Spirit of God, you will not have the boldness, the holy boldness and the power to speak up. You know what blows my mind? Some people are raised in church their entire life and they go their entire life without ever trying to lead anyone to Jesus Christ. And you know what? They know how to divide their Bible. They know what the Bible says about this problem and that problem. And they can give all kinds of great counsel to people, but they never get involved in being a witness for Jesus Christ. And you know what that is? It's powerless Christianity. Well, I know my Bible. Great. You're living your life, knowing your Bible, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And Christian, I pray that you would have a desire to truly and genuinely be led by the Spirit of God. Let's all stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the Bible study tonight. God, thank you. I don't know how else to say this. Thank you for making salvation so easy. Thank you for putting the Spirit of God inside of us and it was a gift that we didn't deserve. Thank you for keeping your promises. Thank you for promising never to leave us or forsake us. Thank you for sealing us with the Spirit of God. Would you help us, Lord, after all that you have gone through, all that you did in salvation, Lord, to bring us where we're at today, would you help us not to take that for granted? Would you help us, Lord, to be sensitive to the Spirit of God in our lives? And God, help us not just to have a form of godliness, and denying the power thereof, Lord, that it comes clearly, we see from the scriptures, from the indwelling and from the filling of the Spirit of God when we submit to that Spirit, when we walk in the Spirit. Would you help us to be obedient, Lord? Remind us, give us those reminders so we can, Lord, submit our flesh to what it is your Spirit wants in our lives. Everyone in this room has a battle. Well, there's different areas of their life that are not submitted to you. I don't know what they are, but you do. And I pray you'd help him with those. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thanks for coming tonight. We will see you Sunday. Amen. <laughs>